And we are back with another episode of Podcast Royal. I'm your host, Jessica. And I am your host, Rachel. And many of our royals are still enjoying their summer holiday, but we've got plenty of fun topics to discuss today. Before we jump in, I do want to get some feedback from our listeners. So listeners, if you love this podcast and you want more frequent episodes, please head to the ratings and reviews on the Apple podcast app and leave us a five-star rating and leave us a note to let us know what you love, what you look forward to. And if you do want more episodes, I think Rachel mentioned last week that we're hoping to go back to our weekly schedule. So if you all like that, just let us know. Um, Although I will make a note that we'll be off next week due to some scheduling conflicts, but otherwise, um, Hopefully we'll we'll be back on a weekly cadence soon. And if you are ready, let's go ahead and get into the Royal Rundown and talk about what's been in the news this week, which honestly has really not been a whole lot. But again, we've got some feature content for you today to tide us over while everyone's at Balmoral. So you want to jump into it? Definitely. Um, so before we start with new items, I want to circle back to something we talked about last week. Um, Listeners, remember, we talked about the Princess of Wales night at Houghton Music Festival. But when we were recording, the news had just dropped and it was originally reported there were no photos taken of her. Rachel, I remember you said there was no self-service, no photos. However, the next day, one was leaked in the media and I actually shared it on our Instagram story. So if you follow us over there, then you probably saw it. So since then, more details have come out about the event, and I wanted to chat about it here. Mm. Okay, so it's been reported that Catherine was actually visiting her and William's close friends in Norfolk, the Chumleys, at their home, Houghton Hall. We've talked about them on the podcast before. So they live just down the road from Anmer Hall, which is Catherine and William's country home. And she was there actually having dinner with the Houghton uh, at the Houghton Music Festival, and that was being held on the Chumley's property, the Houghton Estate. So they had food trucks at the festival. Um, it was reported that Catherine and her friends ate at an on-site restaurant called the Turntable and Napkin. How cute is that name, Rachel? It is cute. <laughs> um, so, okay. Details that I read was her dinner group ordered a 60-pound four-course meal. And Catherine was seen drinking spicy margs, and she also had affogato. And then someone working at the restaurant noted that the group she was left with left a 700-pound tip after dinner. So well, this, this whole festival is billed as like the posh music festival. So that, that should happen. If you are that rich, you can tip well. Definitely. Yes. And, and really interesting details that have come out about this. Mm-hmm. So, okay. Apparently after dinner, Catherine was then convinced to check out the music festival. And you talked about that last time, Rachel, too, that she was kind of hesitant, but she had her I don't security. blame her. I don't blame yeah. her. Yeah. I mean, it, I saw pictures and it looked like there was a pretty good crowd there. Yeah. I think they said, okay, now I'm blanking, but I think they said 12,000 people in attendance. So a lot of people. That's, yeah. That's a lot. In, in the photo that we shared on Instagram, she was wearing, it was either really dark or black skinny jeans. She had an off-the-shoulder black top. She had these big gold statement earrings. And she was wearing her Veja Esplar sneakers. We've mm-hmm. talked about those on here before, too. And they had the metallic gold V. 
So this is the look of an off-duty princess. And I have to say, I think it was the perfect outfit for weekend dinner plans and live music. Don't you agree? Yeah. And you know what I just thought of and that I wondered is, you know, obviously, I guess, I guess she showed up at the dinner party, not expecting to go to this festival because, you know, we've read that the plans were hatched over dinner. So I guess that's what she wears to dinner parties. Now we know. I mean, I don't know what, like, I mean, unfortunately, I don't have as many dinner parties as I would like to, or attend as many dinner parties that I, I used to. And, and I guess there's life pre COVID and life post COVID, but anyway, I like, I would expect if you're at a dinner party, maybe a little fancier than that, but I thought she looked gorgeous. I loved the top, love a good off the shoulder look. Um, those Vejas or Ve jaws or however you say it, uh, Megan wears them. Kate wears them. They're great shoes. I, you, you own some, I need okay. to, I need to buy some anyway. Um, yeah. I mean, I just am like, so that's what she wears to a dinner party that turn, or maybe she changed. I don't know. Cause the Anne Hall isn't that far away, but, um, yeah, I think it was, it was a great casual outfit. I love seeing Kate obviously dressed up, but I love seeing her casual too. She has great style both ways. Well, I'm thinking if she was going up there, she probably knew it wasn't going to be a formal dinner party. It was right up the road mm-hmm. from where she lives Saturday night. Kids are probably down or, you know, with the nanny and she went up the road and I thought it was a great mix when you have the dark jeans and top and the gold earrings that gives you kind of that dressy look, but then the tennis shoes keep it a little bit more casual, a little Mm -hmm. bit more approachable. So, I mean, I thought it was a great balance for, you know, a casual Saturday night dinner with your friends and Listeners, if you are wondering, William was not at the dinner or the festival. Um, we we don't really know for certain where he was, but it was mentioned this week that Saturday, August 12th, is also known as the Glorious 12th, and it marks opening day of grouse shooting. Mm-hmm. So um, he, he may have been away on a weekend hunting trip. Um, if you're not familiar with grouse, the red grouse is a large bird found in the U.K., so um, that may be some type of event that he was at. Obviously, we we don't have official reports on that, but um, that would that would be my guess. What do you think? Yeah, I have heard that he was out shooting or hunting. Um, and look at you knowing a little bit about everything hunting, and you uh, you hunt. I've never. I don't hunt. I was at, well. I don't know. I would. I would like to maybe like. I don't think I this is a whole other subject. I don't think I could shoot a gun again. Like I shot a gun at a range once and I hated it, but, um, I would, I would attend, I would sit there and like watch it happen. But anyway, yeah. So I'm good for Kate, like get, get out of the house, have fun, let your hair down, you know, have spicy margaritas, um, live your life, you know? And I, and I love that she was able to do something quote unquote normal. Of course, her protection officers were there, but yeah, have fun. Definitely. Well, this is a hard right turn um, to something that's very not fun and is just honestly really tragic. So King Charles sent a message to Hawaii following the devastating wildfires there. And we here at Podcast Royal would like to extend our love as well. And I wanted to read the message that he wrote in part. It says, my wife and I were utterly horrified to hear of the catastrophic wildfires currently burning in Maui, Hawaii. He then said he can only begin to imagine the scale of the devastation engulfing the island and the heart-rending anguish of those who 
whose livelihoods have been so disastrously affected. He then added that he and Camilla both wanted to send our deepest possible sympathy to the families of those who have so tragically lost their lives. And our prayers remain with all those whose loved ones are missing and whose homes have been destroyed. As the recovery effort continues, my special thoughts are with the extraordinarily brave emergency responders and Maui residents who are providing their support and assistance. This has all been so devastating, and we're not ashamed on this show to admit that we are praying women, and so we will continue to pray for the people of Hawaii and just tragic. And so I'm thankful for to the king who, you know, really, I mean, Obviously, the United States is not a Commonwealth realm or anything like that, but of course, the UK and the US have a special relationship, and um, I appreciate him speaking out about that. I agree, and and I second what you said. You know, we send our thoughts and prayers with residents of Hawaii, and you think about everything going on at the world at any given time, and um, you know, for King Charles to put out heartfelt messages like that, you know, it, it, it is meaningful to know that he's aware of what's going on and, um, you know, he's showing his, his support, you know, where he's able to, to step in and, um, and, and just provide some sort of thought or comfort to others. So very appreciated. And he also had another message of support go out this week, Rachel, um, another kind of a, <laughs> I guess another hard pivot. So, Congratulations are in order for our British listeners. We're all um, over the place, by the way. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, so our our the Lionesses um played in the finals of the Women's World Cup on Saturday after they beat Australia three to one last week. Now, unfortunately, they did end up losing to Spain in the finals. Um, you know, surely this is not a spoiler alert because everyone's seen this news, but mm-hmm. This was the first time in history that England's women's team has made it to the finals. So this is still really big news for this team. And it's a really great accomplishment that they should be proud of. Mm -hmm. Um, And like I said, King Charles shared a message of support for the team ahead of the big game. He said he, his wife and their families and their very best wishes. And I think he followed up with a a message after the game as well. But Prince William also shared a message to the team congratulating them on their win in the semifinals. He's had a little criticism this week, though, Rachel, from the public because he didn't make plans to attend the final game in Australia. And listeners, I'm not sure if you're aware, but he is the president of the Football Association. And a lot of people felt like he should be there to support the team in person. So Kensington Palace has come out and said that, you know, because of his push for climate change, it's just not really environmentally friendly for him to fly across the globe for just a few days. And I have to say, Rachel, I think this puts him in a really tough position because he's faced with this decision now, you know, do you honor your commitment as president of the FA or do you honor your commitment to protecting the environment and your affiliation with the Earthshot Prize? Clearly he chose to first honor his commitment to the environment, but I'm kind of curious about what you think about this, Rachel, and if you thought it was the right decision. Well, on its face, the decision seems that he should go, right? I mean, go mm-hmm. and support, and he's a huge fan of the team, um, and, I, and I don't think at all that that is performative. He's a huge soccer fan, period, or football, as they say in the UK, 
but he's, he truly is a fan of, of this team, of the women's team and the men's team too, but he's a fan of the women's team. And so I want to introduce a few factors at play because on its face, it seems like the decision should be pretty obvious, but if you go a little bit deeper, there's, there's a lot of things going on again, like you said, the juxtaposition of his environmental work, his sustainability work with the fact that he is, he is president of the football association and Um, I don't think we'd be having this conversation if this was the men's team. And that is because women's sports are just so grossly underrepresented compared to men's sports and and they shouldn't be Um, women's sports should have equal billing as men's sports, but that's another, that's another story. But um, I want to, again, introduce a couple of things. So he records this video with Charlotte and they did this last year as well. So there was a precedent set for this. I think if there hadn't been the video last year, then him sitting with Charlotte recording this video that came out on Saturday, the day before the game on Sunday, it would feel performative, but because they did this last year, it, it really didn't. I mean, I just think that Charlotte loves this team too. And uh, in the video, he said, we're sorry, we can't be there in person. Obviously he's hearing the blowback because there's yep. quite a substantial amount of it. Royals so rarely apologize again, never complain, never explain. So again, it's obvious he knows what's going on. He knows the pulse. Um, a lot of people are saying, and maybe they, maybe the people that are saying this don't realize that he and Charlotte recorded a video message to the lionesses last year as well. Again, precedent set, but a lot of people are saying, why did you only include Charlotte in the video and not George, Charlotte and Louie? Why can't little boys cheer on women's teams? Um, Because little girls cheer cheer on men's teams, right? Um, So there's that argument as well. It was also juxtaposed, William's absence was also juxtaposed with Queen Letizia of Spain. So again, as Jessica said, the final on Sunday was between Spain and England, both teams of which had never been to a final in the World Cup. And Queen Letizia was there and and she brought her younger daughter, Sophia, as well. So that didn't help matters at all. I think if the Spanish royal family wasn't there, it wouldn't have maybe gotten as much traction as it did, but she was there. And so was her daughter. And, but here's a key point. I, we actually, didn't we get a listener Q&A about this? We did. We had a listener question about traveling to Australia. And I responded to, um, it was on Instagram. I responded to the DM saying, I wasn't sure about this, Rachel. So I'm hoping you can clear this up. Well, I don't know if I can fully clear it up, but okay. I, I'm going to, I'm going to try. So, um, I don't know the full constitutional protocol around this, but it makes sense. So the King has not visited Australia yet. Um, He actually hasn't really done a whole lot of travel in his first year. He's about to, they're going to go to Kenya this fall. He will go to Australia and Canada within the year, but um, there are 56 Commonwealth countries in the Commonwealth of Nations. 15 of those are what are called Commonwealth realms. I'm sure we've talked about this on the show in the past nearly three years at some point, but there are 15 countries that are Commonwealth realms, meaning Charles is Australia's king as well. Same with uh, Barbados or no, I'm sorry. Barbados just um, was the last to leave in 2021. 
what I meant to say was the Bahamas, Belize, Jamaica, Canada, there's 15 countries. So the king has not visited Australia yet since becoming king last September. And so constitutionally, William might not be able to visit as well because the king should be the first royal family member to visit, I guess. I mean, I, again, I haven't dug totally into like the constitutionality of this. Well, then the question is raised, okay, well, if William can't go, then send another member of the royal family. Well, the same argument applies. No one can outrank King Charles, right? So unless the king is going to go, which he is also a proponent of sustainability. So the same argument that William had would be probably the same for Charles. So essentially the only person that could have gone if this constitutional thing is true would have been the king. And, you know, a lot of people are seeing this as a missed opportunity to firm up relations between the British royal family and Australia. I think that those relations are doing okay, but there have been leaders in the past that have wanted Australia to become a republic and not be a commonwealth realm anymore and so um i see that i see that point that is definitely a missed opportunity again here's another point that i had not thought of if william had gone australia might have had to cover security costs and so that might have ended up being a bigger headache and just putting more on australia than you know than originally thought and you know again i want to bring some facts to the table too, because this is actually a really big deal. Like I know we're spending a lot of time on this, but this actually really matters because it's, it, it brings up a subject far bigger than William attending a soccer game. It really brings up the broader conversation of women's sports are just not treated equally to men's sports. And that's not okay. But this, again, as I said a minute ago, this is England's first time going to a women's world cup final. The first time any England team, men or women, has gone to a World Cup final since 1966. So for historical context, the Queen, Her Late Majesty, was there at that final, although it was at Wembley. So that's not really a fair comparison. Like that's like Australia's halfway around the world. Wembley's, you know, more or less down the road. Um, Again, as you pointed out, the sustainability factor, flying all the way to Australia, which I believe from London to Sydney is a 22-hour flight for a two-hour match. Yeah, I Googled that this weekend, and it's a long flight. Now, I will say he could probably get some sleep in on there, and you know, maybe it wouldn't be too too bad for him. But I do think going back to the Earthshot Prize and his involvement with that and, and climate change, mm-hmm. he would have been criticized if he had gone. Also. Yeah, he's damned if he does and damned if he doesn't, right? I mean, mm-hmm. he can't, there's no right answer for this. And that's, I, I feel like leaders so often get in that position, you're going to get criticized anyway. So just do what you think is right. But you did say, and you are right, that William is the president of the Football Association. And so a lot of people thought that he should be there because of that. Um, throw into the mix, they, as we've said, copious times they are on summer break and so again but I think I think if all these other factors weren't in play William would have definitely come out of you know summer break for this um really the ultimate question and we won't know I guess until um you know unless the England men's team goes back to a world cup final but the question on everyone's lips seems to be would William have gone if it were the men's team and from what I can tell about, so 
the last men's world cup was in Qatar, which, you know, if you know anything about sports and about the world cup Qatar, that there's just a lot of controversy there. And so William was, did not go to the world cup in Qatar. However, I did read, and who knows about the validity of this, but I did read that if the men's team had ended up going to advancing farther and farther, that his staff, William's staff was looking into going to the game. No, no tickets were bought or anything like that because Qatar was just loaded with controversy. But I think, again, the ultimate question is, and, and not only did William not go, um, Prime Minister Sunak did not go. The head coach of the England's men's team did not go. I think his name is Gareth South, Southgate. And um, it just, it brings up a much broader topic, but um, yeah, I'm, it, it's complex. I don't have an answer for this one because again, it's damned if you do, damned if you don't. I think he probably made the, I mean, cause who would want to court this controversy, right? I think he probably made the best decision he could. Um, but the fact that he did apologize for this is quite notable. Yeah, I totally agree. Congratulations to Spain, by the way. Um, Letizia was there. She looked beautiful. Sophia was there. We're going to talk about the Spanish royals and royals around the world in just a moment. But um, any other thoughts on that? No. Um, yeah. Congratulations to Spain. Mm-hmm. I I actually, I was never a soccer fan until COVID. And then all other, I am a huge sports fan and all other sports were canceled. Right. And so soccer was the only sport that was really being played for, for a little while there. And so I got really into it. So, um, really quickly, I do want to mention that Prince Harry's heart of Invictus on Netflix drops on August 30th. I'm really excited to watch that. That's in a week. So by the time we record our next episode, cause we are uh, taking off next week, I will have seen it. So I'll give my thoughts at that time, but I, we're going to pull in some feature content here because that's about it for the news. Um, Again, everybody's still on summer break, but I thought this was interesting, Jessica. There are apparently seven words that royals never say, British royals in particular. And some of these words you would not expect. So I would like you to level a guess as to at least one of these words. What do you think is one of the seven words that royals will ne- will never say? You know, I think I have actually heard some of these before. Um, so I won't spoil it for listeners, but when I think about words royals shouldn't say, I think about something that wouldn't be the most pleasant word, most pleasant sounding word. You know, <laughs> you, know you think when a royal speaks, you want to hear, you know, something that wouldn't maybe turn somebody off. So like a curse uh, word or something like that, like, you know, using the F word or all the words that I use too much in like, you know, at an engagement, right? Right. Like, or even reference like, you know, something about the restroom or, you know, something of that nature. We will be talking about restrooms in just a second. <laughs> Um, Well, so I got this information from the mirror who sourced a social anthropologist named Kate Fox. So the first word of the seven is one I did not expect. And this word is pardon, which like, pardon me. Um, Instead, royals say, sorry, or sorry, what? I'm I'm not even going to attempt to do Hmm. my British accent because I fail. 
You would think that pardon would be the more formal. I know. I thought the same thing. I would think pardon would be more, and I don't, and well, actually I, there is a little bit of an explanation. See, I think this stuff is so fascinating. I think, I mean, I'm a writer, so my currency is words all day, every day. And I think like linguistics is incredibly fascinating, but, um, you know, I, I don't, really i mean the word i was thinking of that i had an explanation for is is the next word so i don't well, really know okay so here's here's going to be my my theory mm-hmm. maybe this comes from the fact that someone in a high level like a royal couldn't be pardoned they do mm. the pardoning so maybe okay. they don't ask to be pardoned because okay. Um, they're, they're in a higher position or a higher rank. I'm making this up, but that would make sense to me that maybe that's kind of where the reasoning comes from. That is totally valid. Well, the second word that Royals don't say has a little bit more of an explanation. So, um, the second word is, is a bit more obvious and that word that they do not use is the word toilet. (laughs) So (laughs) instead, like I could never, um, I mean, I guess. Yeah. In a couple of weeks now, we have said boob and toilet on our podcast. Oh my God. We are such rebels. If you guys <laughs> could only hear the things that I say off mic, oh my God, you would be like, I, we, I don't think I've ever cursed on this show. And that is, I don't know amazing. about that. <laughs> well, I said damned if they do, that doesn't count. But um, so instead, and this will probably anybody that is an Anglophile, this is a very British word. Instead, royals opt for the word loo. So they're going to go to the loo, um, L-O-O. So the reason for this is actually really interesting. So toilet, the word toilet is French in origin. So it's apparently avoided because of that. So interesting interesting stuff. So the third word is perfume, which again is one of those head scratchers. Why? Um, If you're a royal, apparently you use the word scent as in what scent are you wearing today? So Mm -hmm. I don't have any explanation for that one. I don't either. I don't have any explanation for most of these. And if I do, I will say it, but the fourth word really got me because this is one of the most British words I can think of. T T E A. If there was ever a word I would think would not be banned by the royals, it would be tea. But apparently you will out yourself as a non-royal and non-aristocratic if you call your evening meal by that word. Now, I wouldn't probably call my evening meal tea, but I mean, anyway. So instead, the Blue Bloods apparently call it dinner or supper, which is actually rather American and Southern. If I do say so myself, we call it that meal. It's supper. Supper in particular is very Southern. And I have heard this before that the Royals don't say that. And I'm, I wonder if it's to not confuse like an afternoon tea with like mm. coming for tea for, for dinner, because, you know, British will, British people will often refer to tea as, as a meal, mm-hmm. but you can also have an afternoon tea that's not a full meal. So maybe it's a how to differentiate type thing. Yeah. Maybe it's, they don't use that word in that context. So Mm -hmm. the fifth word is lounge. So royal palaces and castles have living rooms, but they are not called that, nor are they called lounges. Instead, and I remember this from, we should do this again, by the way, when you did like listeners, if you go back in the archives, Jessica did like a really great series for a few weeks on royal homes. And um, you talked a a lot about the drawing rooms or the sitting rooms Mm -hmm. in these homes. So um, 
I'm just going to forever call my living room, my drawing room, because that just makes me <laughs> sound very fancy. Um, and in the drawing room or the sitting room, you do not sit on a couch in that room. Instead, you sit on a sofa if you are royal. So there's that. Um, and sixth word, royals also don't use the word posh. They instead call it smart. So for example, Jessica, that's a smart outfit you have on. So um, I guess if you are posh, you don't say posh, right? Sure. That makes sense. And finally, the seventh word is, this is what we do when the royals are at Balmoral. We tell you that you don't say the word toilet and you don't say the word posh. Um, finally, the seventh word after your dinner or supper, again, not tea, you do not have dessert. Instead, you have pudding. So now you know, and you cannot say that episode 103 did not teach you anything. So don't you think all of those are fascinating? I just find yes. language so interesting. And that, that pudding is kind of a, a British thing anyway, too. So mm -hmm. um, that was really fun. I, I think we should all try to incorporate that into our um, our vocabulary. Let's start calling our living rooms drawing rooms. I will do that, but I'm not going to start calling it the loo because that just makes me look like a try hard British poser. <laughs> like that's like nobody in America calls it the loo. I would. I, well, next time you're in town, I will invite you over for pudding. There you go. I would love to have pudding <laughs> with you. By the way, listeners, if you're keeping up with my life, which if you are, you're probably exhausted, but I'm still in Nashville and I will be headed to New Orleans later this week. So our next episode will be recorded in the big easy, which I'm super excited about. So the journey continues anyway. What, um, what are some, I, th Oh, you know what? We did forget a little news item. Tell us about, uh, yeah, I, well, I kind of popped this in here last minute because I wanted to mention it. So I hopped on Instagram the other day and a story popped up on my homepage uh, and it was for James and Ella. And I had totally forgotten about this company. And I can't even remember if we've ever discussed it on the pod, but for listeners who may not know, James Middleton, Catherine's brother, started James and Ella. Ella is obviously named after his beloved dog, um, but it is a dog food company that offers pre-portioned meals in the form of raw food and cold pressed food and air dried treats. And so um, I bring this up because, like I said, I totally forgotten that he started this company and we don't really hear about it much. And, and their story popped up on my Instagram the other day. And then right after that, I saw some articles online saying that James and Ella appears to be struggling financially. So mm -hmm. the article I read noted that the company's assets have dropped by more than 200,000 pounds. And it said last year assets were over 300K and now they're down to just 92,500 pounds. And it's um, not a good year to be a Middleton family business, party pieces, James and Ella. So, I mean, I hate that. I know. I know. And, and so I was looking into it because I, I was really surprised by that. And I'm sure this has to be a company that is near and dear to him and, and really meaningful. And I do hope that James and Ella will make it through this. As a dog lover, I really love the concept of this company. I think you just get a lot of joy knowing that you're feeding your pet really healthy food. 
you know, but in this economy, I think buying specialty dog food is probably difficult for a lot of people to manage financially. So like I said, I'm hoping they can pull through this. If you haven't been to the company's website, on the About Us page, James talks about how he started the company after his dogs helped pull him out of a difficult battle with depression, which we've talked about before on here. And then on the other side of that, he made it his mission to make their lives as happy and healthy as they made his. And one of the ways he did that was by working with nutritionists to develop this dog food company. Um, and so a really great story. I did check the FAQs page on the site. And unfortunately for our non-UK listeners, they do not ship internationally right now. Um, so, you know, we can't, anybody outside of the UK can't go support and, and purchase something. I hate that. They should probably change that, right? I mean, yeah, it says that they were working business. to, yeah, to try to expand shipping capabilities, but you know, I was just really disappointed to hear they were struggling and I do hope that they work through this and continue to grow. So we are rooting for you, James, Rachel. Absolutely. I did you hear about that story this week? I'm going to be honest with you. I've never even heard of this company and I report on the Royal family and yes, James Middleton is not technically royal, but he's certainly royal adjacent. And if I haven't, and I'm not saying like I'm the end all be all expert, but literally I spend 40 hours a week reporting on Catherine and, you know, the people in her life and all other royals. If I haven't heard, I've never heard of this company. And so if I have not heard of this company, then I mean, again, I'm not the end all be all, but that's kind of problematic. If someone that my title literally includes the words Royals editor hasn't heard of this company and they should definitely fix the international shipping. I know that it might cost a little bit more money on the front end, but they're losing all the American customers, all the Canadian customers, all the Australian, et cetera, et cetera, that they could have um, that just want to support James in this great mission. I mean, I, of course, I hope that, you know, he's able to recover because it's, it's, a, it sounds like a great company with a great mission. Well, it seems like they may be ramping up their marketing a little bit because I, ever since I saw that story the other day, I've seen a few more things pop up on Instagram from mm -hmm. them. Although that could just be the algorithm, but mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> um, and then I, I did squeeze one more thing in here this afternoon, Rachel. I don't know if you've heard about this either, but another story that's popped up in the news the past few days that I just wanted to mention um, there's not a whole lot to report on yet, but I want to hear your take on this after I, I share it. So Prince Harry is planning a trip to Dusseldorf next month for this year's Invictus Games, which we've talked about. So Invictus Games wraps up on September 16th, and all of a sudden, these rumors have been swirling saying that while he is overseas, King Charles has scheduled a private meeting with Harry on September 17th. And it was described as a meeting focused on healing their relationship as father and son, not a family business meeting. So once rumors started circulating, reports started popping up in media outlets, Buckingham Palace did come out with a statement to set the narrative straight. And they responded by saying that even though they believe the king will always leave the door open to reconciliation with Prince Harry, they didn't expect an actual physical meeting to occur between the two. And they pointed out that, you know, the 17th is only three days ahead of King Charles scheduled visit to France coming up. Mm -hmm. So I think now the public is trying to decode the truth in all of this. You know, it has been reported that Harry is in fact planning to make a stop in the UK on his way back home from the Invictus Games. 
Buckingham Palace didn't actually say matter-of-factly they won't meet, only they think a meeting won't occur. So we don't know. I mean, this could all be a rumor that someone just put out there to get clicks. Um, there could be more to it. I guess we'll have to wait and see. Mm-hmm. But what do you think? Do you think something like this could happen? I hope. I mean, of course, I hope so. I'm 100% for reconciliation talks. I have so many thoughts swirling in my head that I hope I can remember all of them. The first thing I want to say is if the meeting is really happening on the 17th, which I have reported on this. I think I wrote two stories about this. They're calling it the peace talks meeting. Um, If it really does happen on September 17th, that would be two days after Harry's 39th birthday. So that would be sweet. Um, Again, I'm all in favor of this. They, um, of course, saw each other at Charles's coronation in May, but I don't think that they've had a private meeting since uh, before Spare came out in January. Charles is also reportedly having a summit at Balmoral within the next couple of weeks with um, Camilla and the Prince and Princess of Wales to talk about the future of the monarchy, to talk about, the, the, you know, they're wrapping up, it, it is a family business, so they're wrapping up the first year of the new way, you know, with Charles on the throne, and I know that Charles is really, really keen to strengthen the Commonwealth. And I've read that he's really going to leverage um, William and Kate's star quality as, as the, as publications have called it to help in that effort. Okay. But back to him and Harry. So actually it was kind of, it kind of seems a little bit meant to be because um, as you said, Harry will be flying, uh, allegedly flying, this all allegedly flying from Dusseldorf to London and then on to the U.S. And as you said, the Invictus Games wrap up on the 16th. So that would put him available on the 17th. And Charles will be home from Balmoral in mid-September, early to mid-September. And then, as you said, he and Camilla will go to that rescheduled trip to France that was, I think, was supposed to happen in March, but then protests delayed it. Um, I have, again, I have heard very strongly that it's going to happen. Then by the end of the workday today, today's Tuesday, the 22nd, I was reading that it's not going to happen. So you just have to take this stuff with a grain of salt. Um, Again, it's all conjecture and rumors. If it does happen, um, it'll be because somebody leaked. And so, you know, I just, I don't believe it until I see it. But of course, I hope that father and son get some time together. And I'm a sentimental person and it touches my heart that it would be his birthday, Harry's birthday week. And that would be a great birthday present, of course, you know, fully reconciling with your father. So yeah, I mean, of course I'm hopeful for that relationship. I continue to be hopeful for William and Harry as well. And um, we'll see what happens. But again, I I don't, you know, you just never know because these are such private meetings. As you said, it's not a family business meeting. Um, I hope it happens, but I don't, if it does, maybe we'll never know. Who knows? Yeah, that's sort of how I feel. I think if it if it is going to occur, the palace will do what they can to keep it quiet. Um, so, you know, something may may leak at some point, but um, I don't think it'll be openly broadcast by the palace at all. So, mm-hmm. well, that officially does wrap up the Royal Rundown for the week. And we'll go ahead and move into Royals Around the World. And I have some fun news for royals around the world today we have a lot of updates on our spanish royals yeah, so they've been all over the news these past couple of weeks 
Rachel, I knew the Barbie movie was a hit in the U.S., but apparently even the royals have joined in on the fun. So King Philippe and Queen Letizia of Spain had a family night out with their daughters, Princess Leonor and Infanta Sophia, to see the Barbie movie. Mm -hmm. And the family was on their summer holiday in Palma. They went to the movie theater. We saw Leonor in a hot pink dress like we've seen so many other people do going to this movie and Sophia also had a dress on although hers wasn't Barbie hot pink like her sisters it was a pattern dress but it did have some pink in it the family also took their grandmother which I love it's the king's Mm -hmm. mother Um, so she went along for the family fun and this was probably a last night out for the family before getting back to regular work after their summer holiday because princess Leonor went off to military training just a few days after, which is going to take her three years to complete. So we've talked about this on the show and how, um, I almost said a curse word, how bad a, (laughs) I think that that is, I think that she is awesome. And I love that. Yes. And a few days after this event, we did, we saw some photos. So her parents and her sister tagged along to drop her off at the academy last week, where she'll be training as a lady cadet for the 2023-2024 year. Like I said, I saw some photos. So in one picture, Queen Letizia was giving her a really big hug before she headed off. And I just have to imagine that's got to be so tough. You know, Leonor is only... 17. It looked like Letizia was crying. I mean, she looked very emotional and I don't blame her. Yeah. And she's going directly from high school to military training. And and this is not uncommon for future Kings and Queens and countries around the world. But, um, you know, what I don't know about this is if Sophia will also do this sort of military training, I would sort of imagine that it wouldn't be required for her. Um, but I am curious if listeners know, send us a message and let us know how that works. If you're familiar with, I don't think that she, I don't think she will. Cause it's because Leonor is going because she's the heir to the throne and she as queen one day, she will one day be in charge of, of the armed forces. I want to sneak this in here really quickly. There is now that queen Elizabeth has passed away. There is, I think we've mentioned this. There's only one birth queen on the throne right now. And that's Margrethe of Denmark. And, um, and that's kind of sad because there's a lot of Royal families and it's all men except for her. And she's getting up there in age. Um, I wish her obviously a very long life, but she, you know, and then her, her successor is, is a male. And so, but the next generation of heirs, a lot of them are female, including Leonor. We've got, um, oh my gosh, Netherlands, I believe, Catherine Amalia. We've got Victoria from Sweden. I mean, we've, and we've got, we've got, um, I think Bel- Elizabeth of Belgium. So the next, so it may be very male dominated right now, but the next generation of heirs, it's going to be girl power. <laughs> yeah, that'll be fun to see. And, and I, I would agree with you on the military training, Rachel, my gut tells me that probably it's required for the heir to the throne, but I am curious to know if, um, that would be something that Sophia would just want to do or have the option to do. So, mm-hmm. so speaking of Sophia, after her dropping her sister off for training, she had a few days left in her summer holiday before going back to school. So she used her free time to travel to Australia with her mom, which you talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, they were at the women's world cup where England played Spain and 
Queen Letitia and Sophia did like a mother's daughter trip, I guess, to go watch the game and, and cheer on their team. I think, I, I hope the ladies had a great time in Australia. It looked like they did. I saw some photos from that event too. And I also wanted to throw in this fun fact. So for listeners who may not know about the title Infanta, and I'm not, I think I'm saying that right with my American accent. I'm not sure, but this is a royal title given to the eldest daughter of the monarch who is not the heir to the throne. So the heir to the throne is Princess Leonor, which makes Sophia Infanta Sophia. Mm-hmm. If the heir to the throne was a boy, Sophia would still be Infanta Sophia. She wouldn't be Princess Sophia because she's not the heir. So just wanted to throw that in there. Little fun fact about royal titles. That is, that is because uh, I've been actually wondering that myself. So I, listeners, you know that we're upset, obviously the British royal family, but look, sometimes I, I, I have to have a break from these people. And so when I do, um, we've spoken on the show before about Sweden's royals who we love, Monaco's royals who we love. Um, we talk about lots of other royal families, but the Spanish royal family, I mean, they have just, because they're in the news so much right now, really caught my attention. I've always loved Letizia. So here are some facts about the Spanish royal family. So King Philippe and Queen Letizia have been on the throne since 2014. I think they're in their early 50s. I think Letizia is 50. And so they're they're still relatively young. And uh, they came on the throne in 2014 after Philippe's father, King Juan Carlos, abdicated the throne after 22 years on the throne, citing personal reasons. Um, since then, he has lived, since 2020, he has lived, so about three years, he's lived in self-imposed exile from Spain. So he is, he, it's a self-imposed exile, but he will not go back to Spain, at least for right now, over allegedly improper business deals with Saudi Arabia. By the way, I did some I did some deep dive research on King Juan Carlos, and uh, that is a fascinating story. If listeners, you are at all interested, including the fact that he accidentally shot and killed his brother like it's just very like that's that's a story right there that's a that's a novel right there waiting to happen anyway Juan Carlos who again is the father of Philippe who's the current king reportedly said I think this is so funny talk about a British royal family tie-in Juan Carlos reportedly said at the time of his abdication which was nine years ago we don't want my son to wither waiting like Prince Charles (laughs) so um so ouch um but uh so Philippe and Letizia have been on the throne for nine years, and Philippe is the youngest of Juan Carlos and Queen Sophia's three children. Um, He is the monarch because he is the only son. He is a, and I, we've talked before about how royals around the world are all connected in some way. Like it's just all kind of one big extended family. He is a cousin, albeit distant, to royals from Norway, Denmark, Sweden, and yes, even the British royal family. He is, I think, a fourth cousin of King Charles. So Philippe was a member of the 1992 Olympic sailing team. And that year, if you'll remember, if you were even alive, the games were in Barcelona and Philippe was actually the Spanish team's flag bearer. He is married to the former Letizia Ortiz, who he married on May 22nd, 2004. And like Kate, Letizia is a commoner, which I think she's actually the first queen of spain to be a be born a commoner she was a middle class family much like kate and like megan Letizia is a divorcee which i did not know until this week so Felipe, oh, i didn't either 
Yeah. So Philippe and Letizia, um, what, so Letizia was with her first husband for like eight years, seven or eight years, but they were only married for a year. So like when you say you're only married for a year, that doesn't give the full context. They were together for a long time, but, um, Philippe and Letizia would have had issues marrying in the Catholic church because if Letizia had done a religious ceremony, but her, I don't, I mean, she could have never predicted that a, she was going to get a divorce and B her second marriage would be to the, to the future King of Spain. But um, her first marriage was actually the ceremony itself was only a civil ceremony. So they actually were in the clear. So I thought that was interesting, but she this is her second marriage. So over 1200 guests were at their wedding, including Prince Charles, Prince Albert of Monaco and crown princess Victoria of Sweden. It was the first state wedding in more than 50 years for the Spanish royal family and the first royal wedding in Spain in over a century. So it was a big deal and it was during our lifetime, but I wasn't, I was in high school not paying attention, unfortunately, but I have looked at photos and she is stunningly beautiful and Philippe was really good looking. Um, I mean, he still is, but he was really good looking in 2004. Anyway, Letizia is a former journalist and not just a former journalist. She was a, she was a really power, like high power journalist. She was on the equivalent uh, in Spain of our CNN or Bloomberg. She was, she was a very well-respected journalist. I think she's one of the most glamorous royals, one of my favorites. And as we, as Jessica mentioned, they have two daughters, Princess Leonor, who was born in 2005 and Princess or Infanta, excuse me, Infanta Sophia born in 2007. So Leonor, as we just reported on, just started her three years of military training. And again, as we just reported on, Sophia accompanied her mom to Australia for the Women's World Cup. So the Spanish royals have been all over the news. So as Queen Letizia has continued the work she began began as a journalist. Issues close to her heart include raising awareness of social issues like education, children's rights, and um, and the like. And Philippe and Letizia, if you, if you remember these names, it might be because they attended King Charles's coronation in May. And you've probably heard it. We've definitely talked about them on the show before, but probably never this in depth. So every time we mention a royal family, I'm going to do a little bit. I'm not going to go like all the way back to, you know, 1200 in or whatever, but I want you to know who the key players are right now. Cause I think it, I think it makes them more interesting. So there's that. Well, cool. Thanks for the fun facts. Sure. Well, we'll close out the Royals around the world with one more story. So the Ukrainian president Zelensky and the first lady have been on a bit of a Scandinavian tour uh, regarding support for their country following last year's Russian invasion. So first they stopped in Sweden and they met with the Swedish king and queen and they thanked the country for its support there. And, um, you know, there were discussions of ongoing partnership and security there. And uh, we did get a photo from the of the president and the first lady with the Swedish king and queen, but really didn't see a whole lot of reporting around this visit. So I don't have too much there, but following their stop at Sweden, they went on to have their first official visit to the country of Denmark, where they met Crown Princess Mary and attended a church service in honor of Ukrainian lives lost in the conflict with Russia. So the purpose of the visit to Denmark was really to highlight the Danish support of Ukraine, both through military backing and then ongoing long-term support for the country. Um, so this is interesting. The presidential couple also met with the Queen of Denmark and 
they gifted each other paintings. Hmm. So the Danish queen gifted the couple with a painting of a tree that she actually painted over 20 years ago entitled The Tree of Life. And then the painting Zelensky and the First Lady presented to the queen depicted children peering out of the window of a train. And the first lady actually gave a little speech and she talked about working toward victory for Ukraine. And she said, only together can we make it the best country for our children. Mm. So I'm not sure if that's why the photo or I'm sorry, the painting that she gave had pictures of children to maybe Mm -hmm. show the future uh, of the country. But um, I thought that was an interesting exchange of gifts. And then Following their meeting with the queen, they did have a lunch. And at the lunch, I'll, I'll just note that they served halibut, lobster, cream buns, passion fruit mocha, and rosé. Mm-hmm. And I have to imagine, Rachel, Denmark, with all the water surrounding that country, the seafood is probably incredible there. Yeah. Um, so that was their visit. Um, you know, I'm not sure if I haven't seen any reports if they've stopped at any other Scandinavian countries, but I, I did see those two mentioned. And since they met with royals, I thought I'd include that here. But that pretty much wraps up our royals around the world this episode. So uh, if you want to tell us about our deep dive this week. Yeah, so third week of Royal Deep Dive. We'll do this for a few more weeks um, until literally probably we run out of family members. Um, For our Royal Deep Dive this week, we are going to take a look at a family of four, the family formerly known as the Wessexes, but I guess now are the Edinburghs, I guess, um, because as of March, Sophie and Edward are the Duchess and Duke of Edinburgh. So we're going to talk today about Edward, Sophie, Louise, and James. These four fly pretty much under the radar, but are amongst the hardest working royals, Edward and Sophie anyway, Louise and James are too young, and probably the least dramatic of the entire Windsor bunch, the least dramatic branch off of the incredibly chaotic Mountbatten-Windsor family tree. So, excuse me, Prince Edward Antony Richard Louis is the fourth and youngest child of Her Late Majesty and Prince Philip. He was born on March 10th, 1964. That would have made the queen almost 38 years old, which in the 60s was uh, a little bit older to have a child. It was. Yeah. So when he was born, he was third in line to the throne. I love saying this like with every royal deep dive because you're born one way and now he's 14th in line to the throne. So he, as was customary at the time, was born in Buckingham Palace. His mother, the queen, had already been queen for 12 years by the time he was born. I've heard it said many times that there's like two sets of kids. There's Charles and Anne who were raised one way and then Andrew and Edward who were raised a completely different way the Um, the later in life younger too (laughs) yeah so um charles was born in 1948 and in 1950 andrew in 1960 so there's a 10-year gap there and then edward in 1964 so edward attended gordonston which is not surprising he gap yeared in new zealand uh again why don't we do a gap year in the u.s by the way and i i wonder where I would go, but that's irrelevant. So again, we need to make that a thing, but um, Edward attended Cambridge and he spent a brief time in the Royal Marines before. And I find this fascinating. He worked as a theater production assistant at the really useful theater company before working in television production. He was actually quite successful in this. Like he had a solid career outside of the Royal family. He was not a working Royal until he was 38 years old. So, um, so I find that very interesting. So 
I will say first I've been to Cambridge. Beautiful. I mean, I would have loved to have gone there for school. Mm -hmm. uh, really great little, little town and in school. Also, you said he was working in television production. Didn't, um, Sophie, what, didn't she work in PR or something? She before did. Yeah. Uh, she was very successful. She owned her own PR firm. And we'll talk about that in a second. She was very successful. Interesting. Yeah. They didn't marry until they were in, um, they were getting deep into their mid thirties when they got married, which is again, a little bit older than, um, you know, you might expect this. They got married in the late nineties. So Edward actually formed his own production company, Ardent Productions. And again, as I said, he only became a full-time working royal in 2002. He was nearly 40 years old. So now we think of him, I mean, now he has one of the most prestigious titles in the royal family. And we think of him and Sophie as if they've always been there, but they actually were married for three years before they became full-time working royals. So I can't imagine Edward as anything but a working royal, but there was a great deal of time when before he worked full-time for the firm he is now patron of over 70 organizations with his his main focus area being athletics the arts and the development of the duke of edinburgh award which he was doing long before he was the duke of edinburgh himself which was a title conferred upon him by his brother charles uh and his birthday last march so upon his marriage to the former sophie reese jones and i've always wondered and i wonder listeners if you think this too there is no relation between Sophie Reese Jones and Trevor Reese Jones, who, if you'll remember, was the only surviving uh, person in the in the car that died, that Princess Diana, the accident that Princess Diana died in. No relation, um, which I thought was interesting. So they marry Edward and Sophie married in 1999, and upon his marriage, he became the Earl of Wessex. And so, as we spoke about at length on the show, um, we, we've talked about we talked about this a lot. We we agreed that this was the right decision. He became the Duke of Edinburgh on his last birthday on March 10th and some interesting facts about Edward. So his birth was the only one of the four children of Elizabeth and Philip to be witnessed by his father, Prince Philip, which I find interesting. Edward dropped out of the Royal Marines early. He only completed about one third of the training for the commando course. Kind of awkward because Philip at the time was the captain general of the Royal Marines and was said to be displeased by the by the media. The media said that he was displeased, but Edward said that Philip did not ever put any undue pressure on him to change his mind. Um, and he he Edward left because he knew he didn't want to make military service his long term career at the time he was going into television production. So when he was working in theater, he worked as a production assistant for musicals. You've, I know you've heard of listeners like Phantom of the Opera and Cats. And when he owned his own production company, that production company mostly produced documentaries and dramas. So Edward and Sophie initially met in 1987. He was dating her friend, actually. They didn't meet again until 1993, and they met at a tennis event, and they started dating soon afterwards, and he proposed in December 1998. They married on June 19, 1999 at St. George's Chapel. Fun fact, this was the first royal wedding I ever watched live. I remember watching this. I would have been almost 13, I guess, and I think I've said that on the show before. But before giving birth to Louise in 2003 and later James in 2007, Sophie had an ectopic pregnancy in 2001 and the family live at Bagshot Park and seeing as the royal family is retreating to Balmoral right now, Edward and Sophie actually spent their honeymoon at Balmoral, which I think is That's sweet. 
Not not a very uh, far off exotic honeymoon though. So that kind no, of no, and they're not really far off exotic people. Their wedding was by far and away the most dialed down of the four siblings. Um, speaking of their wedding, Harry Connick Jr. and John Travolta were there. I assume that Edward knew them through his producing career, mm-hmm, and probably. Sophie wore a gown designed by Samantha Shaw. In the 90s, because she had the haircut that was so popular in the 90s, in the 90s, Sophie and Diana were dead ringers for each other. Like there would be times where I've seen photos of Sophie that look almost exactly like Diana. And the, I think this is interesting, the four girls and boys who carried Sophie's train at her wedding were all commoners. That's the first time that had ever happened in a royal wedding. And I think this is kind of weird, but you know what? I like quirky people. So (laughs) interestingly enough, Edward wore a cat-themed tie to his wedding. He's continued to wear cat-themed ties at other (laughs) royal weddings and occasions since. So you do you, Edward. So let's move on to Sophie. So Sophie Helen Reese Jones was born on January 20th, 1965 and attended West Kent College, where she actually trained as a secretary. As you said, Jessica, you are correct. She then worked in public relations, eventually opening her own PR firm in 1996. She, like Edward, became a full-time working royal in 2002. So they'd been married for, I guess, three years. And she as well has over 70 patronages and undertakes over 200 engagements annually. Um, By the way, she and the late queen were so close that she was like a second daughter to her late majesty. And I'm sorry, I keep having to clear my throat. Um, And she was so close to the queen that the queen actually allowed her to Sophie to live in an apartment at Buckingham palace before she even got engaged to Edward, which is totally, yeah, which is totally not, not normal. Um, Sophie's work Today, she is one of the hardest working royals, primarily revolves around women's rights, people with disabilities, avoidable blindness, and agriculture. I and many others consider her the backbone of the royal family. Again, she was so famously close to her late majesty, she called her mama. So like that, so I mean, that that's like, if we, if we could only all have that type of relationship with our mother-in-law, right? So Sophie was raised middle-class, and when she first became publicly known for dating Edward, she was known as the girl next door. And in, huh? That's really sweet, the girl yeah, next door. Yeah, yeah. And it's, I mean, there's just nothing that's not likable about Sophie. She's just so, and Edward as well. She's just incredibly likable. So in 2003, she gave birth to Lady Louise, Alice, Elizabeth, Mary. That's a mouthful. Lady Louise, Alice, Elizabeth, Mary, Mountbatten, Windsor. She was born, Louise was born eighth in line to the throne. She's now 16th. So I've said this on the show before. I know I said this around the time of the coronation. Louise, to me, is a royal to watch. I think she is going to be someone we will talk about for a very long time. She's coming into her own. She's beautiful. She's in college now. Um, Heretofore, she and her younger brother, James, have not had titles, and they've led relatively quiet lives. I'm sure that that is on purpose. As I've said on the show, she took my breath away at the coronation, and I expect a lot to come of her as a royal in the future. We'll see what happens with Charles's slimmed down monarchy. I don't know if she'll be a working royal, but I definitely think she's one to watch. So Louise was born prematurely, and her father, Edward, was not there because he was actually out of the country on a royal visit. That's how that's how um, premature she was born. She was delivered. It was actually really scary. I actually remember this when it happened. Um was quite scary at the time. Louise was delivered via an emergency C-section 
because Sophie had a placental abruption that caused severe blood loss for both Louise and Sophie and mother and baby stayed in the hospital for about two weeks as a precaution. And Louise was baptized on April 24th of 2004. She, Louise was the last Royal child, actually fun fact to wear the original christening gown. So she was the last of that historic christening gown. She was born with esotropia, which is a condition where one of the eyes turns inward. She had an operation in 2006, so she would have been about three, like two and a half, three to correct this, but that operation was unsuccessful. And then she had another operation in 2013 that was successful. So she is now, like her cousin William before her, a student at the University of St. Andrews in Scotland, and she is a keen fan if you know anything about Louise, you probably know she's a keen fan of carriage driving, which is a hobby that she shared with her beloved grandfather, Prince Philip. I've actually heard many times that um, that Louise and James were the closest grandchildren to her late majesty and Prince Philip, kind of in the way that um, Andrew and Edward were different than Charles and Anne. Um, by the, by the time you think about it, we just talked about Peter Phillips last week, who was the oldest grandchild. He was born in 1977. James was born in 2007. So that's a, that's a lot of time. That's what 30 years. So that's, that's a lot of time between, between the eldest grandchild and the youngest grandchild of Elizabeth and Philip. So uh, once Louise turned 18, which she did in 2021, it was up to her whether she would use her HRH. Sophie always said it will be Louise's choice when she's 18. So far she has opted to not. So we'll see what happens. And uh, James Alexander Philip Theo Mountbatten Windsor. I I can I know where Alexander Phil and Philip come from, but Theo. I wonder where that comes from. I've never. Yeah, heard that. It, it reminds me of like Archie, how it's sort of a nickname because you would think mm-hmm. his name would be Theodore. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So interesting. I know I, I've never heard that used in a royal family name. But anyway, James Alexander Philip Theo Mountbatten Windsor. He is. <laughs> this is weird to think of because. The Earl of Wessex title, I've, of course, always associated with Edward. James is now the Earl of Wessex, thanks to his father's Duke of Edinburgh appointment. And James was born, uh, he's only 15 years old. He was born on December 17th, 2007, the eighth and youngest grandchild of the late queen. He was born eighth in line to the throne, and he is now 15th. He was baptized on April 19th, 2008. And prior to becoming the Earl of Wessex, his title was Viscount Severn, which I so embarrassingly on an earlier episode of the show said Viscount Severn and I got a lot you're of not the too. only person that I've heard do that I'm sure I have too yeah yeah so that's embarrassing and I can't believe I brought it up again but you know humble yourselves but um of course James leads a relatively private life he's 15 years old and I look forward to seeing how he and Louise integrate into the firm if they even choose to at all so yeah you know we don't know a whole lot about James but you know I wouldn't be surprised if Louise takes some sort of a role like Princess Beatrice where Mm -hmm. she has um, a career and a private life and she's not a full-time working royal but she steps in for engagements and works with charities you know as Mm -hmm. needed that would not surprise me at all but I agree with you I, I I think that Louise will be involved somehow I just don't really know and we'll I guess we'll see what happens after she graduates from college but that is this week's Royal Deep Dive, um, introducing you to the Wessexes, or I guess the Edinburghs now. So there you have it. Well, we've got another fun 
family deep dive in the books. We learned some a lot of a lot of really fun facts in today's episode. Man, you know, Rachel, I said when the Royals are away, the podcasters will play. That's we right. will dig into all kinds of fun information from mm-hmm. Royals around the world to our British royal family. So I hope listeners enjoyed that one. You can't say you didn't learn anything today. I can't I guarantee <laughs> you that. Well, make sure to come hang out with us on Instagram at Podcast Royal, where Jessica does great stuff. Um, I'm on a social media detox, so I don't see it, but I know she's doing it. Instagram stories, posts, all the things. We are at Podcast Royal. If you have questions or thoughts to share, we seriously have a 100% response rate. DM us on Instagram or send us an email at hellopodcastroyal at gmail.com. And that is it for episode 103. We will see you in two weeks. And thank you so much for tuning in to Podcast Royal. Bye. Bye. Thank you.